Osiris. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Uh, my name is MC Taylor. I'm speaking to you from Durham, North Carolina, where I live um, and work as the songwriter and uh, singer and guitar player of a band called His Golden Messenger. Out in the feet, looking for silver lights. Just a little taste, it's so hard to find. That name came from what? That name just came from came from the cosmos somewhere a long time ago. Um, and it seemed to fit. That combination of words seemed to fit. There's something something biblical about it. There's something that connects it in my mind to um, old tape machines, the hiss of an old tape. So it it seems to to work now. Now I can't really get rid of it, even if I wanted to. I don't think I could I could change it. It's too attached to the music in my in my mind. Hey folks, you're tuned in once again to the show on the road. My name is Zach Lupitin, your humble sonic spirit guide, recording from my sequin line back closet with the bubble wrap ceiling. And today is a momentous day in the program. Today I bring you a deep conversation I had with North Carolina's folk rock sage, the Grammy-nominated songwriter MC Taylor, who you just heard. And why is today momentous, you ask? Because we have reached mighty episode number 100. Indeed, I began talking to songwriters and artists back in 2018, the first episode being with my old friends and rock harmony queens, The Wild Reeds. Man, a lot of things have changed since those early days. I think I've gotten better at doing my job. I got to talk to Swamp Blues legend Tony Joe White in a haunted Hollywood hotel right before he went to the other side himself. I've talked to so many folks that I admire that I am intimidated by, honestly. I talked to the boys in Wolfpack and lady luminaries like Dar Williams and Ani DeFranco. I talked to Dave Stewart of the Arrhythmics, who told me from his studio in his basement in the Bahamas how he created Sweet Dreams Are Made of This with Annie Lennox using a computer that took up an entire room. Technology is incredible. I was able to sit in Steve Earle's tour bus on a sweltering day in Kentucky. I went back to Mississippi with bluesman Bobby Rush and into the villages of West Africa with Bela Fleck. I talked to the tallest man on earth from his music room in the Swedish countryside. I was able to record British folklorist Sam Lee above a coffee house in London. And I sat in a Vegas hotel room as Raylan Baxter played his electric guitar through a cigarette pack amp. And I had Madison Cunningham play for me and only me in my living room the day before she was nominated for a Grammy and her whole life changed. In short, I know we're not the biggest, most famous podcast, but I feel very lucky to be able to do this crazy thing. And the funny thing is, for the last year and a half or more, I haven't really been able to take this show on the road, but that's okay. I'm grateful for all the artists and songwriters who've taken the time to open up to me as their dogs and their kids run around them at home. And I thank all you listeners for giving me a chance to spread my favorite music with the world. So... After months of planning and false starts, I finally got to talk to MC Taylor, one of the leading lights of our thriving Americana Roots circuit. 
His Golden Messenger feels like part of the fabric of this community. And with his newest release quietly blowing it, he continues to tell stories that are both hopeful and devastating. He deeply examines his own faults as a father, a husband, a citizen, and an artist. Something that honestly, we all should be doing more of. When's the last time you looked in the mirror and said, am I a good person? Am I doing enough? What am I creating to make the world a little better? Anyway, thanks again for uh, getting us to 100 episodes, folks. If you like what you hear, please leave us a kind review in iTunes. It helps the world discover us. Even if it's just like, hey, these songs were cool and the host was really annoying, it gets the word out. So if you want to be a true champ, you can donate 5, 10, a million dollars to znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal. You might have noticed that my crew Dust Bowl Revival canceled a few shows in the South. It's just not safe to be out there right now, folks. Um, August 21st, we will not be heading to the Philadelphia Folk Fest, but we did record a very special pre-taped show that they will be airing digitally, so check that out. This fall, there's a lot of cool shows coming up, including a full tour with our friends Smoothhound Smith from Nashville. You might have heard them on this very show. We'll be playing in Chicago, in New York City, in Vermont, all over the place. Please check it out, dustbowlrevival.com for more. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up right there. Here it is, Mighty Episode 100 with MC Taylor, a.k.a. His Golden Messenger. Were you happy? I know that. I was telling Other stories Oh, Harry Well, for folks who don't know your music or maybe just discovering you recently, I mean, you have a very, um, you know, rustic, acoustic, rock and roll, soul bass, but you came from playing in, like, hardcore bands, and that feels like an echo almost of those days where you in a band, I think you're in a band called X... Ignota, I think, right? Yeah, ex ex ignota, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you learn a lot from those more intense early days that you could kind of still uh, channel in this quote unquote softer music? Because you have themes, especially in this new record, quietly blowing it, that definitely are not soft, right? It is some pretty right. uh, dark explorations of what we're all going through right now, and I feel like. You could feel that punk rock energy underneath the yeah. <laughs> chords and the soft singing. You know, you could feel that rage simmering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that I have carried forward into the music that I make now um, a lot of the the attitude and aesthetic that, that I learned um, as a late teen that was so important to me um and and like you say i think i've just um i articulate it in different ways now um i'm still you know in a lot of ways i'm 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 the same human that i was then i'm interested in a lot of the same things um but you know the the whole like diy aesthetic of um 
that I really learned in punk rock, booking your own tours, pressing your own records, making your own flyers, making your own record covers, writing your own zines, um, creating uh, intentional communities is um, something that I continue to be very interested in. And frankly, His Golden Messenger wouldn't exist without that, that DIY aesthetic. I put out my first three records by myself, pressing 200 and 300 copies uh, per album. And that never seemed like a weird thing to do at all. It seemed perfectly natural. Um, I don't know. I see a lot of people get stuck at that, at that place even. Like, how am I going to put my first record out? I don't know. Do, I need to find a record label. I need a manager. And um, all that stuff came to me later. But uh, I never... I never thought about that stuff at the beginning. <laughs> well, also, you've been doing this a long time. I mean, the song Resurrection Blues, which I love off your first record, Country High East Cotton, or one of your first records, um, you could feel, I think, the theme starting a lot of sure. your work of just yeah. questioning everything, you know, and <laughs> wondering, like, the point of our sure. devotion to various traditions and... Uh, rooting it in in blues and and the sort of gospel backdrop, but having this wide open uh, dialogue with an uncaring universe <laughs> in a way, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know. I do think a lot of that stuff comes from, you know, not only punk rock, but being a very omnivorous um, explorer of culture from a really young age. I don't know where I got that from or why. Um, I think it probably, a lot of it comes from the sort of like solitary questing of, you know, I was a skateboarder and I don't know what it's like now, but at, at when I was growing up, skateboarding was so, again, intertwined with, um, with, with, with music that existed on the fringes, right? So punk rock, Hip hop, um, noise music, uh, um, and, and it also coexisted with 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 uh, with politics, and and I, I think that was just a world that was fascinating to me, and felt um, it felt like it was um, not just ingesting the culture that was on offer on on the television set, but rather like was building something that that meant something real to, to those of us in those spaces. A lot of people associate you with the North Carolina roots music scene, but you grew up somewhere else, right? Yeah, I grew up in Southern California um, in Orange County. I went to school uh, for the first time uh, in Santa Barbara, and then I moved to San Francisco where I lived for about 10 years. So I gradually moved my way up the coast of, of uh of California. I still very much... That is a full California experience. <laughs> Orange County, Santa Barbara, <laughs> San Francisco. <laughs> that runs the gamut. Yeah, I mean, it's... 
it's it's pretty it's pretty it's pretty privileged pretty privileged California experience because uh, there are <laughs> there are a whole lot more spaces in California. It's such a massive state. It's it's insane. Um, but uh, so you know, I, um, I I mean I'm I'm so connected. I feel. I feel so connected to California, even though I've I've lived in the South for uh, fourteen or fifteen years. Um, culturally, maybe is the right word. I feel like I'm culturally a mix of both places. You know, what does your folks do? My folks are retired now, but they were both public school teachers. Hmm. Or my mom actually ended her career as a uh, as a as a middle school vice principal, which is what she did longer than than taught in the classroom. Did they play a lot of music in the house that sunk in, or did you rebel against their tastes? I didn't rebel against their tastes. Um, you know, at at the time uh, that I was growing up, they would often describe themselves as as hippies, right? Okay. Um, like, you know, we I would ask, like, were you guys hippies? <laughs> and they'd be like, Yeah, we were hippies. <laughs> Did they go to and, Woodstock? Um, no, no. My parents weren't hippies. That's the thing. Like, I, I have some friends whose parents were actual hippies. <laughs> it was a whole different thing, you know. I, even though I think you know, hippiedom exists on a spectrum. Uh, my parents were like weekend hippies, maybe. What's well, like? Um, my dad is like the most devoted Grateful Dead fan I've ever seen, and yet never did drugs. Yeah. Never. There you go, man. It's, it's it's great. It's allowed. We will allow it. So, but my dad was a guitar player, and he played he played a lot around the house, and um, he's super gifted, uh, really beautiful guitar player, really beautiful singer. He would often get hired to to sing at weddings and stuff. That was just like that was he was he was really like, you know, if you were of a certain uh, if you were of a certain Southern California vibe and you were getting married like my dad was the dude that you wanted to play at your wedding even if he, even if you didn't know him he just is like that that beautiful voice did he play at your wedding well i didn't sing with him it was during the ceremony he played an everly brothers song that's sweet and i i you know i still think of his elect, his acoustic guitar that he had when i was a kid and that he still has is like the benchmark for what an acoustic guitar should sound like I don't know that it's particularly the best sounding guitar, but you know, I just have this emotional connection to it. It's a 1964 D28 that he bought new, and it's just so beautiful. Let's go into uh, the new record, Quietly Blowing It, which I feel like we all do a little each day. <laughs> you, you have this yeah. unique ability to, I think, concede defeat, I think, as a man, as a American without losing hope somehow like conceding defeat is like starting over like we can start over from the ground up in a way Mm -hmm. and that opening track uh, way back in the way back Mm -hmm. um, I see a really cool comparison with the title track Heart Like a Levy which uh, came out in 2016 of, yeah. of this sort of slow build, sort of easing us in to a really intense dialogue, again, with 
the biggest questions of our age. You know, not like hit, right. not hitting us over the head with it too fast, right? You don't have the drums and the horns and a lot of the stuff come in till two, three minutes in, right? Right. <laughs> You're kind of like like guiding us through the darkness softly, right? So we yeah. have a chance to like be aware of the craziness that's happening, and obviously that line up with the mountains down with the system that keeps us in chains it really sticks in your head um what what (laughs) is that what does that line mean to you when you sing it um i mean i've I've certainly spent a lot of time not only in the past year um the past several years certainly the question was uh intensified in the past year like what kind of world are we trying to build for ourselves here um what kind of world are we intending to pass on to our kids because we have the capacity to build any kind of world we want right um we have the capacity to um to create a a society in which we're not wondering if um if someone is carrying a gun right up with the mountains you often bring in the sounds of your environment crickets yeah woods as sort of this uh soothing through line through the darkness, right? That like no matter what is happening, the mountains are going to keep evolving around us regardless of the apartheid states we create. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's um, there's no version of this world in which we get to, <laughs> to, uh, to burn down nature and still, still go on. You know what I mean? There's there's absolutely no version of the world that we that we are the planet that we're living on in which we get to strip strip it naked and and get get to continue enjoying life as human beings. I mean that's obvious. Um, that's it's never been clearer than this very day that we're speaking. You know what I mean? It's like every day it it, it every day it becomes the the planet. Uh, more urgently screams at us like y'all need to pay attention well there's those lines uh, not like you were probably referring to that but in the song Heart Like a Levy where you go back to that theme I swing for the mountains in double time do you hear me running did I carry my piece of the fire mm, mm-hmm. which really hit me the other day <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that feels like I, I wrote that so long ago. It, it still feels it still feels real though. <laughs> it still feels like words that I'm I'm okay to, to be singing. Sing me a river. Sing me a river. go easy on me. I'm not doing too well. Do you hate me, honey? As much as I hate myself, hard like a levy, hard like a 
swing for the mountain double time is it too heavy honey did i give it my piece of the fire standing in the way I find with artists like you who have, I think, settled into a real identity and a sound, I think there's this tough balancing act that you have where uh, you put out a record that sounds like you, right? Mm -hmm. It comes out, you have different collaborators that come in and out, um, but when I hear a His Golden Messenger song, I know it's you, Mm -hmm. right? which I think is a really powerful, impressive thing, right? Mm-hmm. Except that certain critics who <laughs> are assholes or want to sort of needle uh, sort of new work, like, feel this need to always question why this artist isn't evolving more. Why, isn't, why aren't they transforming themselves every album, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you don't read bad reviews, but I actually find the most nasty reviews to be actually a compliment in their own way because they're Mm -hmm. so pissed off by what they've heard that it's gotten under their skin somehow. Mm -hmm. And there's no no way that you're going to enjoy any of this. But the Pitchfork review of your new record is particularly nasty for whatever (laughs) reason. And I listen to this record, you know, several times over the last few weeks and just being like, yeah, I feel uplifted. I feel like I I can question a lot of what's going on. It like, it's, yes, it's not like uh, a record that is going to change the world immediately on first listen. Do we need that with every record? You know, like, <laughs> but this guy, I don't know who it was. I, I, I didn't write the author's name. Basically wrote, despite its grand scope and good intentions... The latest album from MC Taylor is the sound of an artist beginning to repeat himself, light music, L-I-T-E, for dark times. Good intentions don't guarantee good art. For me, seeing the themes between Quietly Blowing It and Heart Like a Levy, seeing how they connect feels awesome for me, right? Mm. As an artist, as a songwriter who... To a fault, I do the opposite, where I'm like, every album, let's do something completely different. And eventually I'm Mm -hmm. like, I don't even know what I sound like, you know? (laughs) And I feel like it's important sometimes to make a record that, like, is your own sound. What do you think your sound is? Are you asking me that question? Yeah. Maybe we need to rethink about how how art works, Mm -hmm. right? And how how you know artists evolve right right um there are all kinds of ways to do it and you have to be really really sharp mm-hmm. if you're going to be a critic you have to be really really sharp to 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 understand how an artist's work is unfolding mm-hmm. um the guy that wrote that pitchfork review He's been covering my work effusively for years, right. a decade, a decade. I've done many interviews with him. Yeah, he is a nice guy. He is a fine writer. Um, 
I, I don't know that he understands how art works. He's not an artist himself, which isn't which isn't to say that you can't you can't be a critic, but you need to have a deep, a deep and abiding understanding of how how art functions. Um, I think in order to um, write a you know what essentially felt kind of like a takedown piece. Yeah. You know? Um, I read it and I saw who the writer was and I thought to myself, I knew that we would always end up in this place. <laughs> even when this guy, even when this guy was writing effusive reviews of my music. Right. I could tell that he didn't understand what it was, what was driving my music, what the, what the actual fabric was that was making... Right. That was creating my music. I didn't like that review in part because it kind of hurt my feelings, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the, but the other thing is, and this is this is like a bigger thing. So, like to take the time to write a review that long about something that he dislikes and all the ways that he dislikes <laughs> made me feel made me feel sad. I mean, it made me feel sad for him. He has this line about how you dive into all this uh, societal upheaval poverty and gun violence and uh you know climate change but there's a sense of there's a palpable sense of uplift in the songs that contradicts this it's like yeah but i think what we need right now personally is a way to find hope in the darkness do we need just total despair is that is that <laughs> is that like what we need because i think a song like the great mystifier Again, goes back to what you do best, which is to almost list all the things that are going through your head at once, right? The things that Mm -hmm. we maybe don't want to tell people in public, right? And almost reminding yourself, you know, pay your debts, learn the lessons, take the blame. But you're like admitting that so you can kind of start from a healthy place, which I think is really powerful. And it's, it's just, it bears repeating again and again. I keep saying it. I've said it for so many records now. And I don't, people either are not hearing me or they don't want to believe it. But I'm not making a record about, I'm not making a record about the outside world. I'm, I'm making a record about what's in my head. You know what I mean? Right. I'm making a record about what's going on between myself and the very small circle of people that, that I'm interacting with on a regular basis. My two kids, my wife. And a couple other people, right? That that's that's the world of my songwriting. Again, the thing that I like most about a song like The Great Mystifier is the acknowledging sort of it's the, it's you acknowledging that we're all confused, right? Mm-hmm. We don't understand mm-hmm. it, nobody understands it until it falls like rain. Radical changes, buddy, don't you know me, right? Like mm-hmm. like this sort of accepting of our own ignorance. 
you know? Right. Because yeah. we all can talk about climate change and how we can make the world a little better, but then we kind of, like, don't really know what to do mm-hmm. to make it better, mm-hmm. besides just being a decent person, maybe. Right. You know? We don't understand it. Nobody understands it. Till it falls like rain. Radical changes, buddy, don't you know me? I think underlying everything that we went through in the past year was this sense of creativity. Like creativity is a is an animating force, and and art has to be more than more than just transactional and you know when you're on the road doing the thing night after night even though you're getting to perform um i think a lot of us can fall into the trap of just like okay next show next show let's go like next tour um and i think this past year and a half made us all stop and go like wait i'm an artist you know what i mean like i make art i make art for a living like how do I feel about that who am I making the art for am I making it for for the people in the crowds is that who the art is for first and foremost or is it for me mm-hmm. um, neither one of those things is 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 better than the other but it's definitely something to consider you know um, sir, especially when there are no crowds all of a sudden how do you make your living? mostly these days is it from streaming revenue is it still live touring is it a combination of everything licensing it's a a combo it's a combo of all those streaming record royalties touring um publishing you know it all kind of funnels in (laughs) yeah i mean we're not really living at a time when when a musician could choose to not play live <laughs> right <laughs> you know like like Harry Nilsson Harry Nilsson didn't he played two shows <laughs> yeah or something like something like that um I don't I don't know that we're in that place anymore everybody's talking at me I don't hear words saying only the echo There's a a song that you wrote with uh, the great songwriter Gregory Gregory Allen Isakoff, which I love off the new record, um, Painting Houses. Yeah. That has this line that I feel like symbolizes what a lot of artists are going through right now. Uh, We're broke, but we're breathing. Yeah. You know, like we're... Yeah. As long as there's air that we can convey our ideas into the world... We're okay, but yeah, we're also struggling. <laughs> mm-hmm. And a lot of us, yeah. like you, have families to support. You know, yeah. Do you ever question the life you've chosen as a father, as a uh, you know, full-grown adult? Because <laughs> it's a young man's yeah. game in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I do question it. I mean, I feel like you know. I've, sort of 
recurrent theme on every record that I've made is is that is that one and it depends on what day you get me uh-huh. you know what I mean like um, my kids get to see their dad as someone that is totally obsessed with what he does you know what I mean right I think that that's good uh, I didn't have that. I, I'm 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 feel very fortunate to make music for a living, to get to write songs and play them for people for a living. What a cool, what a cool job, um, and what a cool job for my my kids to get to see. There's no way around the fact that this past year and a half was the most that my kids have ever seen me in their lives. You know what I mean? So that's did they like it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we 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 all liked it, um, and and it does make you think whether there is some kind of happy medium. Right. Time's creeping past our corner. It takes forever. I guess we'll be there soon. Still young, they don't I don't wanna talk about it. This hour, there's nowhere left to go. Walk a mile in the dirty snow. Get your ride to the broken hill. Well, your music tends to examine yourself, right? And examine the uh, evolution that's happening within your own psyche. And, you know, an album like Terms of Surrender... I think shows the relationship you have with your growing children and the fears you have of being a person that's gone through depression and, uh, you know, how your kids are going to grow up around a person that has the ability to dive into the darkness in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that song, happy birthday, baby, you know, uh, which I think you wrote for your daughter, you know, think of me better than I think of myself. Right. It's a, it's a tough line. Mm. It's beautiful though. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like a, that's a love song for my daughter. Um, you started going to therapy during that record, I think, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I still I still go I still see my therapist not as regularly as I as I did then. I found it helpful. I don't know. I mean I, I think my job as as a an artist is to be is to be vulnerable. I don't necessarily think that that has to be the the directive of everyone that writes songs, but I, I just feel like the work of mine that I consider like my best work is is the work that examines places and relationships where tension exists. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because tension to me means that something is unresolved. And to continue to explore it, especially in kind of, it's kind of a weird job, right? Like we have to sing these same songs every night. Um, and, and so to, to explore those tense places every night is actually helpful, um, I, I find. 
Right. You know, people are often like, isn't it so hard, you know, isn't it so hard to sing those that song every night? And not really, you know what I mean? Like, not not so much. It's not a, it's not a, it's not tortuous. No, it's kind of helpful. It's cathartic. Yeah, I think so. And, and like, you're kind of studying from night to night, depending on your mood or your where you are um you're you're seeing you're seeing the things that exist in the songs from different places you know so i'm not seeing the songs in the same way every night they're almost always they're they almost always feel different to me happy birthday baby go love your mama now i guess we better face it I'm a lonely swimmer, long, long way from shore. Shall I tell the story? Like there's only one or ten. And when you think of me, think of me better. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that being able to say things out loud is is the first step towards, um, you know, whatever whatever healing needs to be done. You know what I mean? And um, I think that the generation previous to us, you know, like my dad, the men particularly, they didn't talk. They had a hard time actually conveying, articulating um, the things that were most troublesome to them, mm-hmm. and I think that there's a lot of re- I think there are a lot of reasons for that, but uh, um, I-, I think it's tremendously harmful, actually, and and really unhealthy. Um, you know, like uh, so. You know, I try and keep that at the forefront of my mind, like, man, internalizing this stuff that hurts and never letting it out, that's really, that's really unhealthy. (laughs) Did you have a relationship to your grandparents? Yeah, I did. They they were wonderful. Uh, My grandfather on my mom's side was, was the same way, you know? He just, like, I don't think that he really talked about stuff. Not the stuff that really, really was was poking at him. Well, some of the things that these guys saw, like in World War II, my grandfather, right? right. It's like you couldn't go there. It was like a black yeah. box, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. He's in the Philippines on a boat. This torpedo comes on the ship. It doesn't blow up. Somehow they're all saved, barely, you know? Like right. I wouldn't exist if that bomb went off. You know, these are things that are like life or death high trauma moments that are just like, yeah, it's just like one of those stories that grandpa tells and don't ever (laughs) sort of dive deeper, you know? Right. Let me ask you a weird question. If you could have like an in-depth conversation over dinner with any person from history, who would it be? Uh, jeez. I mean, I could give you a list. All right, give me your top five. (laughs) <laughs> Lunch dates. I don't even know if these are these would be my top, but these are like just off 
I'm really glad. I'm really bad at coming up with like lists or who is your favorite. Yeah, that's sort of like a a paralyzing question to me. Um, I mean, maybe um, someone like Mary Oliver, who is a poet, or Octavia Butler, who is a a sci-fi writer. Um, maybe Joni Mitchell. Hmm. Um, or. Abraham Lincoln, keep going. <laughs> or Miles Davis, maybe. All right. Um, or Jerry Garcia. Uh, you know, there there are a bunch more, but I suspect if I really were to like write out those people that I just listed, they're sort of like most compelling qualities. They probably all share something. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think they're all. I think they're 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 all seekers in one one way or another, and and I, I, I feel like that myself. So I could use some advice. There's an article somewhere where you talked about your favorite record right now being Sly Stones. There's a riot going on, mm. of which I just kind of got back into after seeing that uh, uh, Summer of Soul documentary that Questlove put out. Yeah, just the yeah singular genius of his worldview through funk uh, and soul music, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. Obviously, he's a troubled guy that went through a lot of drug use, etc., but, like, at the height of his powers, there's really no one like him. Um, mm-hmm. But that, you know, he was creating personal protest music, almost. That's right. Which was, I think, really unique in kind of what you do, in a way. That's right. I mean, I think Sly was was more outward facing. You know what I mean? Like he he was he was writing anthems and he knew it. And he had the capacity to make it believable, compelling, you know, the the guy could do no wrong. There's a riot going on is a is a very specific record. Um it 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 really exists in a place of 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 darkness. He was recording on tape that was so, by the time he was done with the record, it was so distressed, the tape itself, the physical tape, that yeah. you, can, you, can hear, you can hear that. You can hear that on the record. And it adds a sense of the solitude of that record. It's a very solitary record. Mm. It's such like a sort of cry of distress you know what I mean like it really sounds like a cry of distress from a from a person that was living in a very complicated space I love it I mean what a what a brilliant record I'm a well I'm glad that you're creating what you're creating. I think it means a lot to a lot of people. And um, thanks. I want to do one last creative exercise before we okay. take you out. Uh, the first thing that comes to your mind, try to not think about it. It could be from a moment in your life, from a song. The first thing that comes to your mind when I say the following phrases: tree climber. Uh, I would say Curtis. Curtis, who is our tree trimmer here in North Carolina, and he walks like he's fallen out of a few trees in his time. <laughs> Were you a tree climber as a kid? 
Uh, yeah. Yeah, but I'm sitting here looking out at my backyard at all the trees that either he has trimmed. When I say trim, like, we have massive trees in our backyard, so it's no joke. Um, like a limb from one of these trees fell and, and destroyed our car one time. Like, it's that those kind of trees. So we often have Curtis come out here. I'm, like, looking at these trees right now, thinking of Curtis coming to trim. As a dad, how much leeway do you give your young children to just do their own thing out in the world? <laughs> like, are you a worry ward, or you just be like, no, climb that tree and fall off? You know, it's good for you. I mean, I mean, both, both, and I think most parents are both. You know, <laughs> um, I, I want my kids to have the confidence to walk out the front door and play and explore um, and do things away from from me and my wife because that's important it's an important way of of um understanding yourself you know um at the same time i i totally worry and so like sometimes i just have to take that and stick it in my pocket and just like live with it and encourage my kids to go do something that is really going to make me worry about them because i think that's how you become a become a human all right, next one is Cicada Scream. Oh. Um, the South, I say. The South. Yeah. Cicadas, the sound of cicadas wasn't something that I heard in California. So my, um, my first uh, exposure to it was moving to North Carolina in 2007. All right, next one is Cave Scramble. <laughs> cave Scramble? I don't know. Maybe something from the Lord of the Rings trilogy? I think there's a part when Frodo and Samwise are trying to get out of the cave and Gollum is in pursuit of them. Were you a fan of Tolkien? Big time. Still am. They're making that new TV show, I think, right? On Amazon? I don't know. Yeah, there's well, I don't like know a what huge, like, billion-dollar, massive rollout of, like, an actual series about Lord of the Rings, which would be... Really? Like... Exciting. Wow. For fans, I think. Are you a fan? You know, not as much as many people, but I have seen <laughs> all the movies. I haven't read any of the books, except for The Hobbit, when I was a kid. I have no interest yeah. in, like, his sort of, like overall worldview, but I love the movies. Like, I've seen all the movies, yeah, like, yeah. three times. Like, they're just on yeah. TV, and you're like, yep, this is my afternoon. It's just like, it's like a yeah. it's like a journey that you want to be on, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of fantasy and sci-fi, um, and always have been. And my son is really, has, in the past couple of years, has really gotten into... Dungeons and Dragons, which mm. is, you know, connected to that world. And, um, yeah, so. All right, last one is sequin dress. There's an item of clothing that my daughter has that is a sequin skirt that she's pretty enthusiastic about. She's, <laughs> she just turned eight. I mean, why wouldn't you be enthusiastic about that when you're eight? Yeah, sequins are cool. 
when you see yourself in 30 years, do you still see yourself playing music and creating new records? Mm, I see myself still being creative in some capacity. It's hard to know what my relationship will will be to to making songs. Maybe I will, or maybe there will be some other thing that feels more in tune with where I'm at creatively then. It's hard to say. Um, for me right now, songs feel like the most concise way to convey certain things. Um, in the same way that like a, a poem on the page does. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, I know this is sometimes difficult, but can you try reading Angels in the Headlights as a poem instead of a song? Because I feel like it could, like be, you want- it could be treated like a piece of poetry, and I feel like a lot of times songs are not treated in that way. Like, they're treated as industrial commodities, whereas really they're <laughs> sonic poetry, you know? yeah. I mean, I've always thought of my, my, the way that I write as inspired by poetry more than other songs. You know what I mean? Like the way, because I'm, I'm not, I'm often looking at the way that the words sit on the page. Mm. That is, is, is something that I find really compelling is the way that words sit on the page, the way that the lines are broken up, um, and and that's something that comes from, for me, comes from poetry. Okay, let's pretend we're at a ceremony where the state of North Carolina has anointed you its poet laureate. And now, here's MC Taylor reading Angels in the Headlights. <laughs> well, this is a problem because I don't know the words off the top of my head. I know, I'd it's, have to really, look at them. it's really hard to do that off of context. But the... Uh, now the writer burns his name like a flame across the water. But you can't free him. You might be him. Just the same, it's plain. The stakes are growing longer. Did you play for keeps, kid? Because you gotta. Did you play for keeps, kid? Because you gotta. There you go. You just did it. It sounded great. Now, big thanks to MC Taylor of His Golden Messenger for talking to me. His website is hisgoldenmessenger.com, and that newest record is called Quietly Blowing It. You're hearing the title track underneath my annoying voice, and uh, you can get that on Merge Records or wherever you get vinyl. Please, buy vinyl. It just sounds better. 
And if you go to our mothership, thebluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that back in June there was a cover story where uh, Craig Shelburne covers this new record. It's a really cool article. Please check that out. I hope everybody's staying safe out there. Um, Thank you for the well wishes. I did recover pretty quickly from my Delta variant COVID breakthrough case. Uh, It was very unpleasant, but it was quick, and I'm okay now. And if you're not vaccinated, it is very dangerous, and you are making it impossible for working musicians, music lovers, live music venues to survive. We need to get vaccinated and to get this gone. As you may have heard in the beginning of the program, my crew, Dust Bowl Revival, did cancel some indoor club shows this August down south because, you know what, it is just not safe for me to be uh, shouting at you in a very cozy place. But we'll be playing some really cool festivals outside this fall, including... The Ogden Music Festival coming up September 3rd outside Salt Lake City, Utah. And we'll be playing the Mountain Soul Festival in Santa Cruz September 18th. October 17th, I'll probably get to see my grandma for the first time in two years. We'll be playing the Clearwater Jazz Holiday right before Snarky Puppy. I think it's going to be at a minor league baseball stadium. Please check that out. And many more shows to come, DustBowlRevival.com. Once again, thank you so much for getting us to episode 100. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a kind review in iTunes. It helps the world discover us. And you can donate znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal. That's it for me. The show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupitan. And we are a part of the BGS Podcast Network. Stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you on the trail. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.